man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But, it, but we know the men don't really need Lot's help. So they reach out their hands, they bring Lot into the house, they shut the door, and verse 11 says, they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. And that last line's a little crazy, right? Because, like, they have just been blinded, and what are they con still continuing to do? They're still groping for the door until, like, they, <laughs> they're worn out. And that's a picture of human wickedness. So even as God judges, they won't stop searching for an opportunity to sin. Um, and Sodom's humanity unrestrained, I think. I think what we get in Sodom is God, a, a lot of the world, what's happening is God has a leash on man's sin. <laughs> and so by his common grace, he holds people back from being as bad as they could be. But when he lets go of that leash, this is a little what people look like. And uh, it seems intense to us, but I, I can say if you've ever seen someone enslaved to sin, it doesn't look that much different than that. God can, God can be judging a guy clearly with the consequences of his sin, and they're still wearing themselves out, groping for the door. I remember being a really young pastor back in Pennsylvania, and I, maybe I've told you this story before, but it has always stuck with me. There was a man who was really struggling with alcohol, not struggling, but giving in. And um, his wife had left him, and uh, his, he had shown up at his child's school absolutely drunk, and the police had to, had to come and get him. And in uh, Pennsylvania at that time, I don't know if it's still true, but they had, like, you could only buy liquor at certain stores, and so those stores closed at a certain time. And uh, he called me maybe like 10.30 one night just asking that I would talk to him for the next half hour so he didn't go to the liquor store because the liquor store was about to close after all these things had happened to him. And it was just heartbreaking, really. It was, neat that he, it was good that he called, but heartbreaking to see the power that uh, sin has over people. And that's what we're seeing here with Sodom. And obviously this city deserves to be judged, and Lot as well, honestly, uh, deserves to be judged. But God shows mercy. Verse 12, then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, which seems pretty merciful. Anybody that you can get out, let's get them out. And, and they needed to get out. This wasn't a good place. And this is a way Abraham's blessing the nations. He's showing a way of salvation. Um, because God's going to judge sinners. Verse 13 says, For we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. But he's providing a way of salvation in the middle of that. And so Lot goes to tell his son, sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. And so they weren't married yet. This is like an African way of speaking, you know. Uh, some cultures have a long process when you get married, before you get married. And in Africa, uh, it was always hard to figure out when people were married. So I would say, are you married? And the wife would say yes, and the husband would say no, cause, uh, or the, the opposite. And I'd say, oh, man, it's hard to do counseling if we don't know if you're married or not. Like, let's figure that out. But that was because they had this long process. And here we see that they weren't technically married because uh, they, the daughters weren't um, living with the men in that kind of way, um, 
but they were, they were um, obviously going to get married. And so he goes to them and he says, up, get out of this place, uh, for the Lord's about to destroy the city. But this is another sad, sad line, verse uh, 14 at the end of it. He seemed to his son, sons-in-law to be jesting or joking, which is really, really uh, so sad. And I think a warning, a warning. Um, and what comes next is sad as well, because he doesn't leave right away. It takes him a while. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. And here's this, just really tragic. But he lingered. And I'm telling you, sin can make you insane. Sin is a type of insanity. Um, when, you're, when you're stuck in sin, or someone's stuck in sin, um, you, you just can never know what they're going to do. <laughs> sin can make you insane. Even after all of this, what happened the night before, Lot is lingering. And we think, how can he linger? You know, But think about how you are with the sins that are destroying you. Uh, I think that some of us have lingered, even as we know those sins are destroying us, especially if it involves money, property. You know, he's looking at his house, looking at all his stuff. Uh, in real life, people linger. So God has to take action to save Lot. And it says, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And you see there, he says, Don't look back. And he tells them where to go. Escape to the hills. And Lot argues. He says, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you show me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And so I think Lot's really a lesson. If you think about Lot, you can learn many things about what happens when you wander away from God's plan, when you start, when you start deviating from God's plan. Because, first of all, he doesn't recognize when God shows up. He's willing to do something terrible to his daughters, he becomes a joke to his sons-in-law so that when he talks about judgment, people don't believe him. He's so foolish that he ends up arguing with the people who are trying to save him. He doesn't understand that, you know, these men who just struck all these other guys blind last night, and <laughs> they probably know, they probably have an idea what's best for me. But sin makes you so proud that you're, you're, you're obviously acting in such a foolish way, and yet you think you know better. And they listen. Verse 21, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you've spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. And you have to think about whether this is mercy for Lot or judgment. Um, it says, I grant you this favor, but the results aren't going to be good as we look at it. So I'm not sure if this is God finally saying, Lot, okay, you know what? Yeah, don't go to the hills. You can have, you can have what you want. Go to that, go to that city and see how it works out for you. But God waits until Lot gets there, and then He rains on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire. This may be why it says that two men went to Lot and Sodom, because it doesn't tell us. But maybe the other man went 
to Gomorrah, since God said he was going to investigate. I don't know. But it's interesting here how it says in verse 24, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. It's making clear, God did this, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. So even the earth is impacted. And it's intense, but there's a lot of comfort here in this, at the same time because it shows us God cares about the outcries of those who have been abused by others' sin and that God's just and that wickedness will be punished but not too much, just right. The judge of the earth will do what's right and he'll even find a way to show mercy in the middle of it. And God wants to show mercy. So if we look at the nations being judged, the problem's not with God. The problem's with people, which is very hard for for us to believe (laughs) in spite of all the evidence. It's very hard for us to believe that the problem uh, is not with God. The problem's with, uh, with people. I think we really have a hard time believing that people are as bad as they actually are because we have a hard time believing we're as bad as we actually are. Um, so the question is, you know, God said he's raising up Abraham to be a blessing to the nations, but how when those nations are so wicked and the judge of the earth does what's right? And that's, again, part of why God told Abraham, you need to teach your children to be righteous <laughs> so that they will they'll put on display another way of life. Um, But we also see that the nations, Lot, is people are saved by listening to the angels who are sent because of Abraham's praying on his behalf. So that's one way Abraham blesses the nations. But Lot had to listen, and uh, Lot's wife isn't willing to listen, and she's judged. It says, but Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And that's all it says there. But later, Jesus says, um, this has to do with loving Sodom and loving wickedness. And he actually says, remember Lot's wife as a warning to his disciples, like, this can happen to you. And Lot, I think, is a warning to us that, like, we need to be really careful because we can become so like our culture that, you know, other people reading our story are going to wonder, how, how is this person <laughs> one of God's people? And verse 27, Abraham goes back to where the story started. Moses says, and Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So imagine And yet, again, even as we're looking at God's justice on display, we're seeing God's care for Abraham and those connected with Abraham, verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out in the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. So God judges wickedness, but he's going to save those connected to Abraham. He'll remember his promise to Abraham even as he he judges. And yet the story gets sadder. From here, because Lot didn't listen to the angels, he went to Zoar, and what happened when he did? Uh, verse 30, now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar, which means Zoar must have been a really wicked place, because Sot, uh, he was living in Sodom, and that seems pretty scary to me, but now he's choosing to live in a cave with his daughters, because he's scared, and you know what happens next, uh, and I'm not going to talk about it, but 
it's really sad because Lot acts like Sodom with his daughters, or you could say his daughters act like Sodom with Lot. And uh, this is apparently where some of the nations surrounding the Israelites came from. But as we think about Abraham and God and the nations, chapter 19 is, is a pretty sad chapter. It's good because God judges the wicked and God's willing to rescue, but the world seems so wicked. But if you look at chapter 20, real quickly, there's a little hope because we get another nation here. This is a story about Abraham and Abimelech. And in this story, Abimelech is acting in a righteous way, and the writer really works to emphasize this. Verse 1, it says, From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham does what he did before when he's in a farm place. You remember Egypt. Verse 2, And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And yet this is almost worse, because God made it very clear, like the seed is coming from Sarah, and she hasn't had Isaac yet. But it also tells you something miraculous is going on with Sarah. Because even though this is like many years later, clearly she still looks like the kind of woman that some foreign king would want to marry. And he doesn't tell us the details, but I imagine God must have regenerated, really, Sarah so that she was obviously the kind of woman that could still have a child, which is why Abraham's worried, and, do, and he doesn't trust God, and he tells Sarah to say what she said before, and the same thing happens. The king of Gerar takes her. But, verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she's a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? And that's kind of, a, that's kind of the question, isn't it? From the, that's the same question Abraham was asking God about Sodom, wasn't it? Um, will you, are you going to judge the righteous? Is that, is that what's going on here? And the answer is no. Verse 6, then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he'll pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. And Abimelech rose early in the morning, which is a good sign, right? When you read, so this is like, I think there's, Genesis gives some good evidence for um, early morning risers, actually. Just joking, that's a joke, but a lot of good stuff happens in, when people rise early in the morning. That is terrible exegesis, but that's, uh, that's just for fun. And he rebukes Abraham and he asks, why would you let me do something like this? And Abraham says, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God in this place, which is so funny because it seems like Abimelech's fearing God more than Abraham. (laughs) But Abimelech blesses Abraham and says that he's doing so to vindicate Sarah. Verse 19, to Sarah he said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you're vindicated. And Abraham prays for Abimelech, and they're healed, which means the nations had a problem because Abraham was being disobedient, and it's when Abraham gets right that Abimelech's blessed, and when he intercedes for this nation who submits to God's word, what happens? They're healed. And so we're learning lessons about how this is supposed to work. God's going to bring blessing to the nations through Abraham, but Abraham needs to be obedient. And yet even when Abraham's not, God's going to be faithful. He's going to protect the seed, and if the nations are going to experience blessing, they need to be humble and come to Abraham for help. Sodom wasn't and is judged. Abimelech was and is rescued. And now that we understand that, we're ready uh, for Isaac. So we've got all these big things in place. 
And that means that we're ready uh, for Isaac, which I guess we'll have to talk about um, next, next time. But if you really were going to do this right, you would go all the way to the end of chapter 21 because he's still interested uh, in the nations, what's happening in the nations, actually, throughout the chapter of uh, chapter 21. So we'll figure out a way to get back to that next week. But anybody have any thoughts or questions? Or So there's two things as you study, especially the Old Testament, that it's, I think that are helpful. One is to come super humble and recognize that it's God's word. Also to recognize that you're reading things that happened thousands of years ago. Also to recognize if somebody wrote your story um, so one thing, yeah, so one thing that you learn working with other cultures is that we're really arrogant towards other cultures a lot of times for no reason. Um, so it's easy to look at another culture and think, these people, how could they be like that? And then that other culture looks at you and says, these people, how can they be like that? Um, so... That, that when we read the Old Testament, they do things differently than us, and it's very easy for us to be like, what's wrong with them? And yet, if somebody wrote our story, there would be a lot of things that people would wonder about as well. So that's one thing, to come humbly. But then the other thing is that it's okay to, to say, this is weird, like I don't quite, I don't quite get it, um, if you do that humbly, because then you ask for help, and uh, a lot of those things that you don't get are actually there for a reason to teach you something important, like the Bible describing the ground opening up and receiving the blood of, of Abel. That's written that way to make you pay attention and to make you ask a question and to make you think about why God would write it that way. And so I think sometimes we're afraid to say, hey, this seems weird to me. And because we're afraid to say that, uh, we sometimes miss important lessons that uh, we could learn if we just were willing to take, take the time, pray, think, meditate. But yeah, any, any, uh, any questions or thoughts? Got anything, Levi? No? Yes. Yeah, and actually then Jesus had Moabite blood in him. Because Ruth was one of the ancestors of Jesus. So that's another, and we're going to read later about Tamar. How often we're, we're looking at a God who's writing a story that over the course of thousands of years. And so we may not understand everything that's happening in that moment, but if we wait thousand years <laughs> often we'll see that it was part of a strategy to accomplish something really really beautiful so it's kind of cool to be a person part of like a of a couple thousand year plan right or even more than that but it also means that there are parts of your life you may not you may not ever understand like uh god's still doing his plan he's still just like he was we just don't get all the we don't get all the backstory in our own lives right now, but God's still working his plan over the course of hundreds, thousands of years, and so uh, things happen like terrible. That Lot story is about pretty much as bad as it gets, 
And yet, it, it plays a part in this bigger picture of what God's doing. And uh, God's still doing that in our lives. Um, God's still doing that in our lives. But that's glorious, like, to be part of a plan that big, but it also can be maybe a little hard for you if you want to know ev- why everything works the way, it, how everything works. Because it might be that what's happening to you is it's only going to make sense a couple hundred years from now. All right, yeah. Same thing, yeah. Yeah, has there ever been a time where you've done something really wrong more than once? Yeah, for sure, me. If somebody wrote my story, that probably people would be like, what in the world? Isn't this the 16th time Josh did that? Um, well, yeah, it seems like it's working. <laughs> and God takes care of them. Yeah. Like, hey, why are people complaining about this? It's, <laughs> um, yeah. This, this time it's much more tragic because God has clearly just come and said the seed is coming from, from Sarah, and now he's really messing around with the seed. So his, his faith is, uh, it's, really questionable, which is part of why there needs to be this big test later um, with Isaac, because uh, he, he's, God's got to um, bring this guy to the brink. Are you going to trust me or not? Even what he does, what he's about to do with Hagar, this is really kind of fun. Maybe read that this week. Think about what Abraham does to Hagar, and then think about what God does to Abraham, and just see if there's not some perfect perfect justice in God's test of Abraham that's really complementary to uh, what Abraham did to Hagar.